It's 834. This is Jeff Wagner. So glad to have you with us. Let's get started. First of all, I am I am now on Twitter. Uh, I've been doing this for a week or two, and she just sent out what we did this morning. It sent out a couple tweets highlighting some stuff that's coming up on the program, but also just something I have to get off my chest. God save us from ideologues. The state budget was supposed to have been finished two months ago. Normally, you have budget hang-ups because you have the Democrats that control one house of the legislature, like the Assembly or the Senate, or you have a Democratic governor and a Republican Senate. Normally, that's what happens. In Wisconsin, thanks to the efforts of so many people who have worked so hard, we have Republic, a Republican governor, one of the leading governors, in my opinion, in the country. You have overwhelming majorities in the state Senate and the state Assembly. And because the boys and girls in the state assembly who represent the Republican Party and their constituents can't figure out how to play well with each other, the budget has been delayed for a couple months now. That in and of itself is a disgrace. But at the end of the day, you know, all's well that ends well, and there's a lot of blame to go around. So after months of haggling and whining and going back and forth, Finally, you have the uh, Joint Assembly, the Assembly Finance Committee that gets together. They come up with a budget bill, which is not perfect. I'm going to be the first one to acknowledge it is not perfect. But, you know, it's pretty darn good, given the fact that trying to put together a budget when you have all sorts of different representatives and different senators, it's kind of like herding cats. I, I understand that. You've got everybody that's got different special interests that or their different own pet project. So the, the whole idea behind politics is you try to get something that, while not perfect, because nothing's going to be perfect, that, that you can live with. And there's been a lot of people who have worked very hard getting what I think is a budget that lots and lots of people can live with. So it passes the assembly last night. Democrats in the assembly are all upset. Oh, this is terrible. It's rewarding the wealthy, blah, 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 you know, the usual stuff. It then goes over to the state Senate. There are are 20 Republicans in the state Senate. There are 13 Democrats. This should be a no-brainer, except there are five conservative Republicans who, you know, many of us have gone out of our way to support over the last several years, and and they're they're holding this thing up. I, I mean, and it's just it's time to name names in connection with this. It's amazing. You've got GOP Senator David Craig from the town of Vernon, Steve Nass from Whitewater, a good guy, Chris Kapenga of Delafield, a good guy. They're on the fence about voting for the budget. Dewey Strobel from Sockville says he hasn't made up his mind, and Rob Coles of Alloway, who voted against the Foxconn deal. These five conservatives are saying, well, you know, we're we're not happy with this or that or the other thing. Um you know, really, come on, boys. It's time to do know you. It's time to really poop or get off the pot. And if you have decided that you can't support this because you've got some, and, and look, I understand some of the some of the criticisms. One of them had, well, we think it should. Steve Nass says, I think it should. Uh, it's going to reform prevailing wage, and I think it should do it in January instead of doing it in September. Well, I don't disagree with that, but at the same time, you know, you're really going to hang this up over that. I mean, at some point in time, you need to put on your big boy pants. You need to grow up, and you need to get this thing done. The budget bill that was passed by the Assembly, and there are going to be some changes in it that ultimately the governor makes, but for five Republican senators to continue to hang this up over this particular issue or that particular issue that they may be right on, 
They may be right on, but to say, unless I get everything I want, I'm going to pack up my bags and go home, is nothing short of shameful. And at some point in time, you've got to recognize that you were elected to govern, and you can't get everything that you want, even if your own little pet issue might be, might be good. But at the same time, you are not alone. You are not a king. It will be nothing short of a travesty if this budget continues to get hung up in the state Senate because you have, again, five of the 17 Republicans. You need 17 Republicans to vote. You need, seven, you need again, to get a majority of votes to get this through. You've got 20 Republicans. You've got 13 Democrats. And apparently you have five Republicans who are continuing to hang up this process. Grow up, boys. Grow up. Send out a tweet about this earlier. Five GOP state senators are undecided about supporting a pretty good budget bill passed by the Assembly. Unbelievable. Get it done, guys. And again, we're talking to conservatives out here who have decided for whatever reasons, that they are going to hang this thing up. I will tell you, the vast majority of Wisconsin wants this done. It is a decent budget bill, admittedly not perfect. Get it done for the sake of, for God's sake, just get it done. All right, we start off the show like we start off every show. Three big things. Big story number one, the, the, the whole controversy about the Dreamers continues. Um, everybody is familiar by now with what, what the, the dreamers are. Um, the, the dreamers are people who, it, it's, it's called the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals. That's why you see DACA, DACA. What happened back in, what was it, 2012, Barack Obama issued an executive order that he does not have the authority to issue. The executive order said, we are essentially going to look at a certain class of people who are in this country illegally, people who came to this country as minors, who were brought to this country by their parents, who have lived in this country since then. They haven't left. They haven't committed crimes. They are not creating problems. And we, this is Barack Obama, we're going to allow them to stay. They're going to have to register. If they leave the country, they no longer qualify. If they commit crimes, they don't qualify. But as long as they are here in this country, I am going to allow them to stay. The problem with this is, and this is lost in a lot of the discussion, is Obama did not have the legal authority to do that. We do not elect kings. You know, presidents have certain powers. And there's a number of Republican state attorney generals who are preparing to sue over this issue. And I think almost everybody acknowledges that this this order would be tossed out in the courts. It's just that it is an unconstitutional and an illegal order. Now, that doesn't mean that the policy is necessarily bad. It just means that the president, Obama in this case, didn't have the authority to do it. So a couple weeks ago, Trump says, look, here's the deal. We are, you know, we're recognizing that you can't defend what is legally indefensible. We're not going to defend the Dreamer Act, but we're giving it, we're kicking it back to Congress. Fix this legislatively. I'm going to give you six months. You got six months before we rescind the, the DACA, uh, the exact executive order. And again, Trump is doing this in large part because he knows the order is illegal, he knows it's unconstitutional, and he knows that they're going to lose if they try to defend this in court. But like a lot of the Obama executive orders that were illegal and unconstitutional, it, it, it might be some people like the policy. 
So anyhow, he says, okay, go, Congress, go figure this out. Last night, apparently, there was a meeting between Trump and some of the Democrats. And after that, the Democrats say, hey, we've cut this deal. And the the president is now signed on to um, our efforts to essentially take this executive order in some form or another and turn it into law. Well, President Trump is now out there saying, nope, 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 that's that's not what happened. There wasn't a deal that was cut. Um, we, we talked, but um, that, that's not, there's no deal. Democrats said we, we had a deal. Now, I don't know how this is all going to play out. I know Paul Ryan was quoted yesterday as saying that it's not in our nation's interest to kick out the, the dreamers. And that has generated a huge amount of controversy from the people who say, well, what part of illegal don't you understand? They came into this country illegally, you know, that they should be they should be sent back. And part of the issue then is sent back to where? Because, okay, if you've got somebody who's 19 years old and, for example, came into this country when they were two years old, um, I mean, from Mexico, for example, you know, is Mexico their country? Well, Mexico's where they were born, but they, they've lived here. So in any event, now, now there's the political wrangling about who said what. But if you read a lot of the conversation about this this morning, a lot of people on the right are outraged that Trump would sell them out by cutting a deal on the Dreamers. They're also outraged at, at Paul Ryan, who's saying, I, I just don't see what is in the nation's interest at this point in time to kick out the dreamers. Okay, our number, 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I don't see this issue going away. And you know what? I agree with Paul Ryan. I have said this before, but I'm, I'm willing to tee this up. I don't see any sense at this point in time in identifying these 800,000 people who came into this country brought by their parents who haven't been creating a problem. If you get convicted of a crime, you get booted out. You're no longer eligible for dreamer status. Given all the other more significant problems that we have, I have no issue with taking some version of this executive order and turning it into law. And I'm not talking about giving the dreamers citizenship. I'm just saying if you want a form of legal residency, we've got 11 million people that are illegally in this country, all right? Of that 11 million, you've got 800,000 who apparently aren't causing any crime, any problems and who came into this country through their parents. If, if I'm going to talk about prioritizing my immigration efforts, that, that 800,000 isn't going to be my top priority. They're not going to be my 50th priority. My top priorities are going to be, number one, sealing the border so more people don't come in illegally, and number two, using my resources to get rid of the people who are in this country illegally who are creating the problems, the folks that are coming in five and ten times after being deported, the folks that are here committing crimes, the folks that are not contributing in a positive way to society. But I'd start with the criminals, and then I'd go from there. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, this Dreamer issue continues to be a huge controversy, um, and it's, it's one that, candidly, is dividing Republicans. I think we need to move past it. And in all honesty, I, I think that something needs to get done to allow the Dreamers to stay, not as citizens. Not as citizens, but as legal residents, as long as they comply with the various rules. All right, 414-799-1620 is the number we discuss next. It's 846. This is Big Story number one. 
It's 8.50, Jeff Wagner, 6.20, WTMJ. We have a text. I'm just curious, how many of these individuals, this would be the Dreamers, applied for legal citizenship in the last four or five years after they were allowed to stay by DACA? My guess is none, because the way I understand the law is they can't apply for citizenship. If you come into this country illegally, you're, you're not eligible to apply for citizenship. The only thing that you could do is leave this country and then try to figure out the process of getting back in. Very, very difficult. So my guess would be would be none. At the same time, I understand there's a huge issue with illegal immigration. I don't downplay it. I also just try to be a realist. And candidly, given limited resources, I'm not sure what you gain by going after this relatively small subset of the entire number of people who are in this country illegally. Let's start with Mike in Milwaukee. Mike, you're first. Good morning. Good morning, Jeff. What do you think? Um, I agree with you on this issue. Sometimes our party can be taken over from, just like the, the Democrats, the left-wing kooks take it over. Sometimes we get tied up on these, these issues. Hey, hey, there's Let them stay. Work a deal out. Um, they're not going to be U.S. citizens. Uh, and if they violate the law, then they can get booted. Uh, but by saying we're going to deport all these people and waste the resources, I, it just doesn't make any sense. Close the border. Tighten up all the other rules. Move on from here. Otherwise, this is going to be some flashpoint. And you know the media is going to make it out as well, yeah. they're going to well, find well, all the worst-case scenarios. Well, right. They're, they're already doing that. I mean, you, you, you look at all the coverage of the story, and the media is already going out, and the advocacy groups are going out, and they're finding the, 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 the high school valedictorian. Who you know right. was brought, who, who's got the college scholarship? Who was brought into this country at the age of three by her parents from Guatemala or whatever? Who's the number? You know, high, she's the high school valedictorian. You know, she's volunteered at all these things, and they're saying this is the person that we're going to deport. And and I mean, how do you defend that? I mean, I, I'm not against deporting people, but I would start with deporting the people who are causing the problems. No, yeah, I agree. And then we 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 make a deal on this, and then we get tough on everything else. And when they say you guys are heartless, we say, look, we let this happen, we, we continue this program, we're not heartless, but we just want to enforce the laws and the rules that apply. Well, so well I, right. I a- yeah, right. I mean, you ha- it's, thanks for calling. At some point in time, you have to be pragmatic. Now, it, you know, turn back the clock, you know, 10 or 15 years ago, um, you know, would, would we have... Should we have been more aggressive in, I don't know, securing the border and stopping people from coming in? Well, well, yeah, I, I get that. But right now you've got 11 million people who are in this country illegally. And the, the question becomes, we do not have the resources to round up and deport everybody. We just don't do that. That is the reality. So the question becomes, what, what do we do and how do we prioritize things? And, and actually, I, I think by concentrating on, uh, again, the person that was brought in as a kid who is causing no trouble. And that's the key thing. You've got people who are committing crimes. They're not eligible. and They, they, they can be booted out. But the person who's not causing any trouble, well, what, what do we gain by saying, okay, we're going to spend time trying to deport that 19-year-old girl as opposed to, I don't know, going after the low life that's been in this country five times and is here committing crimes? I mean, I, I'm just saying as a matter of practicality, do that. I am not in favor of citizenship. I, I'm not in favor of citizenship 
but this isn't citizenship. Now, I will tell you, Trump is being absolutely crucified this morning on the right. You know, Breitbart News, which is, of course, the right-wing publication that helped get him elected, they're already talking about how this is a complete and total betrayal, how this is absolutely awful. He's cutting deals with the Democrats. Well, part of the problem is, of course, there's a lot of Republicans, again, Mitch McConnell and Paul Ryan, who is not a liberal, who are saying, look, I just, this is not where, where resources need to be spent. Let's talk to Larry in Walworth. Larry, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning, and I'd just like to say that I'm definitely on the same page as you, and I think the previous caller uh, was uh, was great as well. And I, I believe also that the, the good part of the uh, good Americans that have alarm clocks and get up and go to work, we agree with you, too. Um, you know, the people that are here um, that are contributing, that that's great. Um, with, with allocate our resources, like you said, to the people that are causing problems. But we can't kick the border down the, down the wall, or we can't kick the can down regarding the wall and stuff. We need to seal it up because where is it going to be 10 years from right. now? Right, exactly. To, to me, that's the key. You need to do bo- both things at once because you, you can't allow this to continue to, to happen. You've got to figure out a way to slow down or stop illegal immigration. and But but I'm also, like you are, I'm also dealing with this reality. You know, what do you do with the people that have been in the country for 15 or 20 years? I mean, that's, you know, it, it's tough to throw, it is tough to throw that five-year-old kid, kid that came in at the age of five out who has been, you know, a productive member of our society. How do you do that? Right. I, I agree. I don't think we do kick them out. And if we have to, you know, so-called cut a deal with the Dems to um, to do that, um, that's okay, because we need to move on. We need to focus on other things. Right. There's a lot of other problems going on right now. And, and I think our president knows that, and I support him. And the media is going to say whatever they want. We know that, but most people get it. Um, so I just say, let's, let's address the problem. Let's take care of the people that are here, but let's not let the problem grow. Yeah, let's, it, let's take care of it. We can't kick it down the road. I, 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 I agree with you. You can't. No, thanks. You, you can't. You're right. You have to be. You have to be pragmatic about this. Maria in Shorewood. Maria, good morning. Good morning. Uh, let me say that I am a proud American of, of Mexican ancestry, and brought to the U.S. by their parents, these DACA members. Um, Certainly these innocent children had no voice, they had no choice. The United States was not their country of origin, but for many, many years that followed, they learned to call the U.S. home. Maturing into young, educated adults, many of them know no other language other than English, no other culture other than American. They have met the requirements and abided by the rules of the DACA program, and because of that, they are not considered undocumented nor illegal. They have pledged allegiance to the red, white, and blue, and they believe they are just as American as the rest of us. Now they run the risk of being cast out from a country they have always known as home. These young adults came out of the shadows, they shared vital information, and are now sitting ducks at the mercy of a government that can and will drive them out of a country they respect and love. Let me say that for almost a quarter of a century, I headed up the award-winning Hispanic Chamber of Commerce of Wisconsin. And during that tenure, I saw firsthand that few other groups of immigrants were more exploited, were more intimidated, were more used and discarded. Now, we are at a critical crossroads. The path taken must be one of the highest ethical humanity, inspired innovation, and compassionate leadership. We ask the powerful, the influential, to use their positions towards a speedy and genuine 
bipartisan solution. And, and, and Maria, and I, I, I'm not sure. It sounds like you were reading something out there, but I, I don't disagree with that. I mean, again, it's I, I don't disagree. It's one thing if you have, and as an adult, you make this decision, I'm going to sneak into this country, and I'm going to try to stay here. It's another thing if you are, like you were talking about, if you are a young person and you're brought into this country and you um, have no choice in the matter, you're here with your family and you've done all the right things and you've complied with DACA. Again, I, I think... I think the executive order that the president issued, President Obama issued, was wrong. I don't think he had the authority to do it. But now I think it's appropriate to send it over to Congress. And I think I would support, uh, again, putting something like this into legislation. I think to me it just makes sense. All right, big story number two is coming up. Are you tired of all the race baiting? Stick around. It's 858. It's 910. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Big story number two. I appreciate that there is real racism in this world and that that racism is encountered. It needs to be identified. It needs to be dealt with. At the same time, at the same time, it now appears that people are developing that this cottage industry um, when it comes to playing the race card and i think it is tired whether it's michael bennett the defensive end for the seattle seahawks who by the way now is being pretty much exposed as a massive liar bennett is the guy who claimed in a tweet interestingly enough he never made a formal complaint about what he says happened to him in las vegas because if he'd made a formal complaint with the police department he would have subjected himself to prosecution for making a false police statement but he's the guy who claimed that he was singled out because he was a black man in this las vegas casino well of course what happens is he's there to attend the last mayweather fight um somebody knocks over a bunch of statues it sounds like gunfire the police including several minority officers respond now the new development in that story is the cameras are out and they show like i suspect it was going to be the case the casino this whole area it's full of white people and black people and hispanic people the police who are investigating what they think is an active shooting situation say okay please everybody stay in place michael bennett is hiding behind a slot machine he then sees the police stands up runs jumps over a four-foot barrier and starts fleeing and yes the police chase him and yes they put him on the ground and yes they put him in handcuffs because they're investigating an active shooting situation or what they think is an active shooting situation they tell everybody to stay in place and he is the one guy that runs and he's the one that says "Oh, i was singled out because i was a black man and by the way the police officers who did this according to lap they, they were minorities themselves. Don't know if they were African-American or something else. But but so this get this claim gets all this traction and all. Well, Michael Bennett, again, he plays the race card. He wants to get attention for himself by making what I think are false claims of racism. Then, of course, you have this Jamel Hill. She is the person who hosts the ESPN 5 or 6 p.m. version of Sports Center. ESPN has become way more political um, because the ratings are, are failing. So she sends out a series of tweets the other day talking about how Donald Trump is a white supremacist, etc., etc. He's largely surrounded himself with other white supremacists, etc., etc. It's this rant, and ESPN essentially does nothing. This is the same ESPN that has sat either fired or sat other people on the bricks for 
suggesting things from the other side. She, Linda Cohn, who's a Sports Center anchor, she goes out and she says, yeah, I think ESPN's becoming way too political. She is sent home. Kurt Schilling is fired for using his social media account to advance conservative causes. But because it's the flip side of this, well, apparently there is nothing to see here. But the larger point isn't whether anybody watches ESPN who cares about that at the end of the day. It's not whether... Or not, uh, you know, what, whether we're not, we, we care about, you know, what Michael Bennett thinks. I think he's been exposed as a race-baiting liar. But it's the larger point, given that you have, again, real racism in this world. There's no question about it. The fact that it now seems that everybody who is trying to get attention for themselves is playing the race card. Now, that I understand that this has been going on for decades but for whatever reason, particularly perhaps after the election of President Trump, now it seems like this is an almost daily situation where you have people who have decided, look, this is this is how I am going to get my extra 15 minutes of fame. This is how I'm going to get my attention. I am going to say particularly outrageous and unfounded things, and, and I'm... I'm going to play the race card as much as I want, and if anybody dares to question me, well, that just demonstrates that they are a white supremacist. And candidly, I'm tired of it. I I really am. I understand, again, real racism in this world needs to be identified. The people with the hoods marching in in Charlottesville, Virginia, yeah, those are the real racists, and that's the problem, and it underscores the problem we've got in our society. But, But really... 414-799-1620, 414-799-1620, big story number two, more and more prominent people continue to play the race card, and I think it is turning off the silent majority of Americans, whether it's white America or whether it is mainstream black America who recognize that, look, there are problems in this world, but, all right, an overpaid football player who runs from the cops in a potential shooting situation in a Las Vegas casino and then has the audacity to scream racism, my goodness, you would think something like that has Dr. Martin Luther King turning over in his grave. 414-799-1620. We're back to discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 915. It's 918, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Dan sends me a text. This is very annoying. Eventually, the race card will be worn out, and people won't pay attention when there is actual racism. Um, Actually, the story about Jamel Hill, who is the race-baiting anchor of ESPN Sports Center, who decides to get attention by calling Donald Trump a a white supremacist and talking about how he surrounded himself with other white supremacists. And presumably, that means if you support Donald Trump, you too are a white supremacist. Um, Yesterday, the White House Press Secretary, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, um, she said that she thought that uh, Jamel Hill should be fired for calling him a white supremacist. Now, I mean, look, here's here's to me, it's just a double standard. If you had somebody who had said something similar about that with regard to Barack Obama, you know that ESPN would have fired them. You just know that. But because... It's not politically correct because this is the latest thing because playing the race card gets you your 15 minutes of fame. You know ESPN isn't going to do anything about that. And so the only choice has is whether people decide, you know, they want to watch the shows or not. So that's how the average citizen, you know, responds. And I don't know. 
that you need the President of the United States through the press secretary to get involved with this. I just know that I think mainstream America is tired, tired, tired of having the having the race card constantly played. Christina in Hartford. Christina, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hi. Hi, Christina. I saw the story on TV, and I just rolled my eyes. I mean, if you think for a minute about the police officers that were in that situation. Oh, you're talking about the Michael Bennett situation in Vegas. Yes. Got it, yeah. Um, if they... if they saw somebody running in an active situation like that. What are they supposed to do? Pause and go, hmm, what should we do? Should we go after that person or not? I mean, if our law enforcement did that, then we'd be all over them. It's ridiculous. And then when he starts throwing his name around right away, what do you, innocent people don't throw around their name and insist on being like, oh, they just comply, they hang back. Yeah. Well, then, well, right. well, what was even more aggravating is now, now they're releasing other surveillance video of that casino. And, and again, the, the casino, it's filled with people of all different races. Well, of course. Yeah, and, and, and right. And, and, and everybody, everybody does what the cops say. Everybody yeah. just stays except this guy who starts running. And then so he has the. Everybody would think well, that that person is guilty of something. Right, or, right, of know, course. Dangerous. Well, of course, everybody is in place. He's the guy that starts running. And then he has the audacity to say, well, they did this to me because I was a black man. No, they did it to. They didn't, they didn't jack up any of the other black men in the casino. They did it to you because you decided you were hiding and you decided to flee from them they would you're right if this had been me or you christina i guarantee you not that i would have been able to jump over a four-foot barrier <laughs> i'm right there with you i'd be but, hiding under it <laughs> well, well right but but i mean if you and i started to run i guarantee you the police in an act what they think is an active shooting situation they would have chased after us and they would have taken us down that's just what would have yeah. happened and i don't understand that mentality because i, I still equate running from the police as equivalent to being shot and killed i don't understand where we not that's not nothing against the police i'm just saying that that's the way i grew up you don't run from the police because it's a dangerous situation right you know what i mean and you could stand well you sure know, something it, really bad happening well right uh, thanks for calling me right like, like in this and that that's why that that whole story was just so infuriating from the beginning and of course the, but before the police have an opportunity to respond, this ends up going out on Twitter and everybody's talking about how racist the Las Vegas police officers are. But that's, I mean, again, that's that's what goes on in America in 2017. You get to race bait. You get to make these outrageous allegations. And then, of course, everybody says, well, yes, this is so terrible. This is, you know, this is what's going on. Well, again, what happens is when there is real racism in this country, this type of stuff diminishes it. Okay, big story number three coming up. And then at 930, we're going to be joined by Brewers Chief Operating Officer Rick Schlesinger to talk a little bit about what's going on at Miller Park this weekend. We're going to go behind the scenes. It's going to be an interesting interview. It's 923. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 925, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. After claiming unfair disadvantages on a couple of occasions in Chicago, should Brewers fans admit that the change of venue this weekend is an unfair advantage for them now? Join the debate during Scafidi and Bill Stat at 1235 this afternoon. Actually, like I say, coming up in about 10 minutes, we're going to be talking to Brewers Chief Operating Officer Rick Schlesinger, and we're going to actually be talking about the mechanics of what's going to be happening this weekend, but I might ask him something related to that, so um, stick around. 
Big story number three. When will they ever learn? Here's the way the story was reported in the Journal Sentinel. Um, A convicted murderer who had been out of prison for less than two years. Convicted murderer out of prison for less than two years has been charged with killing his girlfriend who disappeared in July. The body of Audrey Scott was found two weeks ago in Racine County. Her boyfriend, Sammy Miller, had served eight years in prison for fatally shooting a Milwaukee man during a botched robbery in 2007. Miller, 28. So, okay, he's only 28. He murdered somebody in 2007. And now he's back out on the street. Matter of fact, he was back out on the street when he was 26 years old. He's now been charged with first-degree intentional homicide in the death of Scott, who was reported missing by the Milwaukee police on July 14th. According to the complaint, um, Scott was at a bar on Water Street in downtown Milwaukee on July 4th when Miller showed up and started an argument because he saw her dancing with someone else. Witnesses told police the argument turned physical, and Miller and another person were thrown out of the bar while Scott remained inside. That was the last time she was seen. It goes on, and and essentially what the criminal complaint implies is that he beat her and then drove her to a remote area and killed her. All right? Now, he's innocent until proven guilty, but here's the outrage about this entire thing. Why was he on the street in the first place? I mean, he was convicted of felony murder for fatally shooting another guy in a robbery in September of 2007. The judge at the time, Milwaukee Circuit Judge Carl Ashley, who is one of the most lenient sentencers in on the Milwaukee County bench, and that says a lot, Ashley says, I don't know how you were involved in this. You're a high school graduate. You're a good student. You tested well. No priors. There's nothing that would indicate that you should be here, but you are, except for the fact that the guy was involved in a felony murder. He sentenced Miller to eight years in prison and eight years of extended supervision. By the way, how is that extended supervision working out? Hmm? How is that extended supervision working out? This was a guy who was released from prison and was supposed to be being monitored. And what's he doing? Allegedly assaulting a woman and killing her. So, I mean, the question becomes, how many people in the state of Wisconsin do you get to kill before you end up getting sent to prison for a lengthy period of time. Miller was released to supervision in May of 2016, um, ended up back in custody in March after someone broke into his home and he fought off the intruder. He was not criminally charged. Then Miller violated a court order and received a sanction of 30 days in the Milwaukee Secure Detention Facility that ended with his release on May 22nd. And so then he allegedly committed what the murder in July. How many people in Milwaukee County, seriously, do you get to kill before the judges decide that you need to be locked up for a lengthy period of time? Now, again, if this man is convicted of this crime, you can raise the question about, well, all right, now now what happens here? If he goes in front of Carl Ashley again, what's the sentence going to be? Another eight years with extended supervision? This, number one, demonstrates again how cheap life is in Milwaukee County and how really unaccountable people are for committing crimes. We're not talking about a car theft. 
We're not talking about a burglary. We were talking about a murder, and you're out in eight years. Number two, it demonstrates how ridiculous extended supervision is. If anybody thinks that makes the community safe, well, you know, get over yourself. It certainly doesn't. So at what point in time, big story number three, do we realize that we've got to get tough on criminals, and when they're convicted of murder, maybe they should serve more than eight years in prison? Just saying. All right, coming up in just a couple minutes, we're going to be talking to Brewer CEO Rick Schlesinger, former Nicolet High School graduate, along with me, fellow Nicolet High School graduate, about what's going on this weekend at Miller Park. Stick around. It's 9.34, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Brewers in the middle of a pennant chase, which is something that has everybody thrilled. I was at the game the other night when they beat Pittsburgh um, 8-1. to Just an outstanding game. Had a lot of fun watching that. Um, and now the news that they've got extra, essentially three extra home games coming up this weekend. We're joined by Brewers Chief Operating Officer Rick Schlesinger. Rick, good morning. Good morning, Jeff. How are you? I am well, thank you. Hey, at the beginning of the year, did you ever think, did you ever really think that there was going to be this close and this exciting coming down to the end of the season? Well, you know, we're we're always optimists in this <laughs> business, and frankly, you know, you 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 always look for for surprises. You always look to be relevant, and yeah, I mean, it's it's great to be in this position. It's it's fun. It's stressful. Every pitch counts. <laughs> uh, you know, people are excited. That's sort of what we're in business to do. You know, to to create miracles, and and it's been a fun year. And We've got some work to do, and obviously we have some games here that uh, we didn't have on the schedule, but we're, we're preparing for them. Yeah, let's let's talk about that. For people who might not be aware, the Brewers were supposed to be in Miami playing the Marlins this weekend. Obviously, everybody knows about you know Hurricane Irma, and uh, apparently Miami, the Miami Marlins, in consultation with Major League Baseball, made the decision that, that they don't think the game should be played there this weekend because they don't want to divert police resources from arguably more important things, not saying that baseball is not important. So the games um, end up in Milwaukee. So let's talk a little bit about what baseball is going to look like this weekend in Milwaukee? Well, we're gonna. It's going to be a little different because we're the road team, so that means we bat first, and the Marlins have the last chance in the bottom of the ninth. Uh, so, uh, but we will still be in our home uh, clubhouse. Uh, we'll still have the sausage race. <laughs> we will still make it feel like a, a Brewers experience. Uh, you know, the key thing for us is to make sure that everybody's safe, that we can accommodate the people and that we have concessions operating and we have staffers and ushers and all that. So uh, I think the goal is to obviously make it feel like a Brewers game, like a Brewers experience with the uh, sort of twist that uh, we're technically the road team. Mm-hmm. Now, Rick, there in, in order to accomplish that, there's going to be a limited number of tickets sold. For example, Friday night, only 10,000 tickets are being sold? Right. Right now, uh, the plan is uh, for having the field level, the first, the lowest section of the ballpark, which has about 10,000 seats available for sale, simply because uh, on short notice to, to staff uh, the other levels poses some challenges. And we want to make sure, again, that we're fully staffed, we're fully operational. And airing on the set of caution for Friday night, it's just the first level. For the, the Saturday and Sunday games, we're going to be able to open up the loge level, which will add another 13,000 feet. Uh, Tickets, so we'll we'll have twenty three thousand tickets available for sale for Saturday night game and the Sunday day game. One of the things that I thought was so interesting about this, Rick, is that the is the pricing of the tickets. Um, you you've got because of the short notice and all the different factors, you've got some special pricing that's involved with the seats. Yes, right now, uh, Field Diamond Box, which are our best seats, right behind home plate on the field level, are twenty dollars. 
for a normal game, those those are obviously much higher uh, by a factor of four. And if it was a Cubs game, it might even be a, by a factor of seven or eight. Uh, the next best seats on field level of field infield, as we call those, those are the seats between the bases. Those are $15, and every other ticket is $10. So that will be field outfield, bleachers, and loge level, all levels. So, uh, yeah, the prices are obviously very fan-friendly. Uh, our, our, our thinking here was um, this is a scheduled, this is unscheduled game, short notice. We want to get as many people as we can to these games, create a great atmosphere, uh, and obviously value pricing is part of that equation. Well, you know, I, I think that this is actually such a great opportunity for people. And I, I understand Miller Park is extremely affordable and you do all sorts of things. But the reality is there's some people who love to go to Brewers games and, and maybe those, those field-level diamond boxes are, are a little bit rich for their blood. This gives people an opportunity to sit in some of the very best seats in the house for a, a very manageable rate. I, I can't. I imagine a lot of people are going to want to take advantage of this. Well, yeah, absolutely. I think that's that's one of the goals is, you know, let's let's get people who, who love baseball – uh, who are obviously excited about the, the playoff chase and excited to support the team. And let's get them in seats that maybe are not even available on the open market because they're usually reserved for season seat holders or for corporate sponsors or just not easily the average fans. So this is an opportunity, like you said, uh, for people that have amazing seats, uh, very affordable prices, and, and watch you know a, a team competing for the postseason. Now, logistically, it, it's got to be somewhat of a nightmare for you. How, how, how do people... Get their tickets. I mean, if I if I want to go to a game Friday night, I want to be one of those ten thousand people. What do I have to do? Well, the good news is we have uh, Brewers.com. The best way, and a lot of people buy tickets already, is you go to Brewers.com. You can print at home, or have your uh, tickets um, downloaded to your um, your smartphone. Uh, also, you can call our phone center nine zero two forty four hundred, and they can get tickets electronically sent to you. There's always the box office. People, the old school way of people actually coming to the box office and buying, buying the hard ticket right there. We, we encourage people for these games in particular to buy in advance. Uh, go to Brewers.com or go to you know mobile devices and download the Brewers app simply because I think we expect a lot of these tickets to go fast and I think we want to avoid long lines of people trying to buy tickets to the box office. But yeah, the old we won't be able to obviously mail tickets out like we would in other games. Uh, so electronic delivery, print at home, or box office is really the way, way to do it. When do the t- the tickets aren't the tickets are going on sale in a little bit, right? Am I correct? Yeah, ten a.m. Ten a.m. So Brewers dot com is probably easy way easiest way to do this. Um, yes. I, you know, I, I got to tell you, I think that Friday night game in particular, and I I, I have no doubt you're going to sell all ten thousand tickets pretty quickly. I I think. I can't imagine what it's going to be like to be in that stadium where just the first level is filled and everything else is going to be empty. That's going to be an interesting experience. Yeah, you know, I think it's it's uh, it, it's going to be a little different because, you know, obviously we don't do that generally. Although for exhibition games, uh, which is obviously a different atmosphere, uh, we do, you know, have the system where we sell field level first and fully sell that out and then open lowest level and the next level. So there has been some exhibition games at Miller Park where, you know, you've had, you know, the lower bowl, the lower bowl completely full and just a smattering of, of tickets above. But yeah, this, this will be a little interesting. And, and again, I, I think that, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're excited to, to see the turnout. Uh, it's, it's again, we're asking people at the last minute to change their plans. But, uh, one thing Bruce fans do is they're nimble. They adjust. They love baseball. And they love a good deal. So I think all those merge into what I think will be big crowds for this weekend. And there's a, there's a one-size-fits-all price for parking, right? Yes, $10, uh, no advanced parking, and 
first parking spot available will be the first one filled, so there's no premium parking. It's literally 10 bucks. but again, for people that are used to parking very far away, uh, if they get to the ballpark early, they'll find they'll be parking very close to the ballpark. So again, it's a, a little bit of a different experience than maybe a fan who's, who's not able to access the best seats or the best parking. They're going to find that they're going to access the best seats and also very good parking. Hey, Rick, while, while I have you, I, I, um, I scour the corners of the Internet so most people don't have to. And one of the things that's <laughs> one, that's my service to, to everybody, one, one of the things that's out there is there's this undercurrent. I mean, forgetting the fact that there was a hurricane in, in Miami. This is really what caused this. And you have, you know, the, these bigger issues. One, one of the things that's out there is people saying, well, baseball, Major League Baseball shouldn't have moved the games to Milwaukee. If they had to move the games, they should have found a, a neutral site, Atlanta, you know, Baltimore, Washington, what, what, whatever, um, some stadium that would be available because it, it's an unfair advantage to the Brewers in a, in a pennant chase. I mean, what, what was the dynamics behind this decision to the extent you know? Yeah, it's, a, it's a fair question, and I think, you know, traditionally, I think that baseball does look to try to move games like this to a neutral site. We have some precedent um, of that already, given the situation in Houston and then most recently with Hurricane Irma. Um, you know, most recently in Tampa Bay, and the Yankees relocated their series from Tampa Bay to New York. Now, albeit it was at City Field, the Mets' home, and not Yankee Stadium, but I still think the New York Yankees had a home field advantage, obviously, with playing in a ballpark nine miles from their own. Um, I wasn't privy to all the details and the, the behind-the-scenes discussions between the Marlins and Major League Baseball. Uh, I, I, I imagine neutral sites were examined, but one of the things that baseball has to be careful about is making sure that the games get played. And if, if we had been relocated to a site and there's a weather issue, uh, the, the weather would have impacted our ability to play. We have a retractable roof, which gives us the advantage of ensuring that these games get played. The last thing baseball wanted to do is move the Brewers and the Marlins to a neutral site and have a rain out or two causing a missed games because those then would have to be made up at the end of the year and you can imagine all of the chaos that might have caused if those games had playoff implications. Right. Well, plus, I, I not to answer my own question, but I also have to imagine that, as, as you've been talking about, there's an this is an incredible logistical challenge that I understand you willingly take. But it's like we, we we've got to staff the stadium, we've got to find the ushers, we've got to find the confession, concessions, we've got to distribute the tickets. If you were to have moved on a two or three day notice to a neutral site, it, it's almost tough to expect how they could have asked. The, the your counterpart in Washington or in Baltimore or wherever to have done all the stuff that you've done and are going to have to do over the next 48 hours. Yeah, absolutely true. I mean, it's hard to do. The other thing, and I don't know if this played into baseball's thinking, is, you know, we on very short notice in 2007 and again in 2008, we hosted games uh, due to weather, and obviously we were not involved in those games. It was Angels, Indians in 2007, Cubs, Astros in 2008. But I think baseball was, was impressed by how our, our people adjusted and, and by the turnout of our fans to games. So I think baseball said, well, you know, one thing we know about the Brewers in Milwaukee is they can pull this off on short notice. And you're right, the logistical challenges are significant, but uh, our people are great. Uh, we have incredible, dedicated, loyal, hardworking employees, and, and everybody's working overtime to make it work. Well, that's it. My, my guess is you're not going to get a lot of sleep in the next 48 hours. That's kind of my guess. No, probably not, but I haven't been sleeping much anyway because uh, not only am I you know, watching our games, I'm also watching other teams and seeing what they're doing, and especially in the West Coast, right. uh, you know, watching the Rockies and, 
in Arizona, you know, there's you got to have multiple sets of eyes and you got to have uh, a lot of stamina because these are not times to be sleeping. <laughs> well, for people who don't know, it, it's more than just a, a job for you and and a lot of your colleagues in the front office. You're, it's not just a job; it's not just a business. You're a huge fan as well, right? I, I'm not sure, other than perhaps Mark Atanasio, there's anybody that lives and dies more with you know pitch by pitch by pitch at the Brewers game than you. I think that's probably true. I, there's probably a tie with a lot of people in our front office, and, and my colleagues at work used to always tease me because I'll, I'll say in the game in April, this, the whole season comes down to this next pitch, <laughs> and, and I say that so often it becomes sort of you know uh, a little bit of a cliche. But you know, I grew up loving the Brewers. I'm from here. Uh, I live and die with them, and, and uh, it's it's really part of my DNA. And obviously, to be working for the team is, is an incredible privilege. And when you're playing meaningful, high-stress games in late September, um, you know, you got to pinch yourself. And, and you, you can't really take advantage of the fun. You have to do your job. But after, after it's done, you can look back and hopefully have some fond memories. Uh, Rick Schlesinger, I, thanks for joining me this morning. Brewers.com, it's 947. Tickets go on sale in 13 minutes. So I think particularly for the Friday night game, they're going to go quick. So people who are listening to us, you want to be on your computer getting to – and the limit is, what, eight? Maximum of eight tickets per person? Maximum eight per, per person. Good enough. Rick, thanks so much for joining me. Uh, go Brewers. Thanks, Jeff. Okay, take care. Rick Schlesinger. Again, it's um I think this is it's a really cool opportunity. Do the Brewers get an advantage? Yeah, they do, but at the same time, it, it this makes a lot of sense under the given the circumstances that are here. And I think from the perspective of those of us who are fans, this is really a great opportunity. One of the things that first struck me about this was, I mean, l- let's face it, those really good seats um, I, I understand that even though you know a lot of the seats at Miller Park are affordable and things, the reality is the average fan a lot of times doesn't get the chance to you know sit four or five rows behind home plate or you know two rows behind the dugout because of, of just the, the pricing that's there and it's just it's just the way it works. But here you have an opportunity: best seats in the house, twenty bucks. You know, others fifteen, ten dollars for you know seats down the lines. I mean, it's just it's a great opportunity and only ten thousand seats for Friday night. 23 for Saturday and Sunday. I hope there's a huge turnout of Brewers fans. Brewers.com in about 12 minutes. It's 948. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 951. This is Jeff Wagner. 620 WTMJ. WTMJ lets you experience Wisconsin's finest supper clubs at half price. This week, our featured supper club is Katarina's Restaurante in Milwaukee. It is a great place. Family-owned for over 30 years, Katarina's features original Italian recipes made fresh to order and includes entrees from pasta to seafood as uh, veal steak as well. Tomorrow. Tomorrow, tomorrow at 12 noon, you can get a $50 gift certificate, a $50 certificate for only 25 bucks. It's like stealing. These will go quickly. We only have 50 available. Get yours tomorrow starting at noon. You go to WTMJ.com or WTMJSupperClub.com. Either way, we only have 50 of these. They will go quickly. It is... It is my favorite press release of the day. There's just no question about it. We get, you get hit by all these press releases. I don't know if you saw this, BD, who's producing the show today. This is the press release that was released from um, Sheriff David Beth of Kenosha, who's a friend of the program, has been on many occasions. Media release on September 14th at 7.14 a.m. 
the Kenosha County Sheriff's Despondent, Respo- Department responded to the 7900 block of 18th Street, Highway L, in Summers for a report of a loose animal, possibly a kangaroo. <laughs> a kangaroo. Not a loose dog, not a loose horse, a, not a loose cat, a kangaroo. Investigation received, revealed this to be the case. It was determined that the kangaroo exited its confines from Jerry Smith's farm on 18th Street, possibly by kicking the confined gate. The kangaroo decided to wander west on 18th Street, which is Highway L. Um, Jerry Smith's farm was contacted, and five-year-old Joey the kangaroo was safely returned to the farm without injury to anyone. <laughs> Can you imagine? You're kind of driving to work, and you see this... That, that looks like a kangaroo. Boss, I was a little bit late because traffic was slowing down because there was a loose kangaroo. That's when you go in for drug testing. Yeah, that was the media release today. Kangaroo on the loose. Thankfully, they caught the kangaroo. Hey, Leah Vukmir, I'm following. At least I maybe this is a situation of great minds thinking alike. Leah Vukmir, who is one of the Republican candidates running for the right to challenge Tammy Baldwin next year. Tammy Baldwin has decided, and she really is one of the most liberal senators in the United States Senate, and that is saying a lot. She's decided to come out, go full bore on single-payer health insurance. The idea that we're going to get rid of private insurance companies, we're going to get rid of you having insurance through your employers, and we're going to have the government take care of everything. Tammy Baldwin is all in on single payer. It will cost trillions of dollars to do this. I think anybody who really knows anything about single payer recognizes it will destroy health care in this country. That is my opinion at a huge cost. If you like your doctor, no, you're not going to be able to keep your doctor. If you like your insurance plan, no, you're not going to be able to keep it. If you want to get treated for, I don't know, you've got those kidney stones and you're peeing blood and you want to see somebody in a week, well, get ready to wait four or five months. I believe single payer will be a disaster. But right now, this is what the hard left loves because I think a lot of people aren't really thinking this through. Leah Vukmir is calling out Tammy Baldwin. This will be a defining issue in the two. 2018 U.S. Senate race. The challenge for Leah Vukmir and other Republicans, though, is to explain to the general public what single payer is really going to mean for them. And trust me, once you find out the details, you ain't going to like it. It is 956. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Coming up in just a couple minutes, hurricane coverage, the Weather Channel, and global warming. It's all coming together. Stick around. It's 956. It's 1008. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. What caught my attention uh, about this story is, is actually it's the headline. It, it, all the different TV stations reported it. Fox 6, this was the headline of their web coverage. Quote, I knew I shouldn't be driving. Woman accused in fatal wrong way, head on crash, says after Brewers game. I knew I shouldn't have been driving. Huh. But nevertheless, I did. Now, now here's here's the story, and we just had it on the news. Uh, a Pewaukee woman made her course, first court appearance yesterday. She is accused of killing a woman in a wrong way, 
head-on crash while driving drunk on Highway 164, I drive that all the time, in the town of Lisbon on Monday night, September 11th. Um, Well, 23-year-old Abby Dominski of Pewaukee faces one count of homicide by intoxicated use of a vehicle and one count of operating while intoxicated causing injury. Um, the, the homicide by intoxicated use of a motor vehicle is up to a 25-year penalty. After the crash on State Highway 164 near South J Lane, 44-year-old Candace Frankowiak lost her life in the crash. According to the complaint, First responders arrived about 11.30 p.m. Monday after learning of an SUV that had gone into a ditch and no one inside was responding to the 911 caller. Deputies found a vehicle in the ditch and another was found on the east side of the roadway, still partially on the pavement. In that vehicle, deputies found, say they found a woman sitting in the driver's seat with one arm, arm hanging out of the window. She was unresponsive, later identified as Frankowiak. She was pronounced dead at the scene as a result of multiple injuries. Investigators spotted another driver in a vehicle that was on the east side of the roadway on its roof. The driver told them he suffered a bump on his head and a bump on the wrist. He told investigators he was headed north on 164 on his way home from work when he saw a black vehicle cross the center line lane, center line into his lane of traffic driving southbound in the northbound lane of 164. Wow. The man said he veered to the right in an effort to move out of the way. That's when he lost control as he attempted to straighten out his vehicle, which veered in the ditch and rolled landing on its roof. Deputies found Dominski, this would be the driver, the wrong way driver, inside a badly damaged Cadillac SUV at the scene. Paramedic reported that she had thrown up multiple times while being taken out of the SUV. Um, Paramedic said that this smelled like alcohol. Um, The go-to interviewer, this is in the criminal complaint. When asked whether she remembered what happened, she said no. She initially told investigators that she had had two to three vodka lemonades and said, I didn't have that much to drink. Investigators noted that she was extremely dazed and her eyes were only half open and were red and glassy. Now, of course, she'd just been involved in going the wrong way down 164 and slamming into cars. So, you know, that could explain that. She wasn't aware that she was in a crash and said she thought she swerved a little bit into the other lane but couldn't provide any details. When asked if she remembered anything leading up to the crash, the complaint says she was at a Brewers game with her boyfriend. Deputies said she refused to take a breath test, and she was eventually arrested for OWI. She eventually agreed to let investigators take a sample of her blood, which was sent to the state crime lab. She was released from the hospital and taken to the sheriff's department. During a second interview, bear with me now, she told investigators she went to the Brewers game with her boyfriend. She said she drove her vehicle to her boyfriend's workplace in Menominee Falls, and they then drove to a bar on Blue Mound, where they had a couple of drinks before heading to the game. After the game, they went back to Kelly's Bleachers, that's the bar, and had one more drink before returning to her vehicle in Menominee Falls. She said, in all, she had three beers, a vodka lemonade, a shot of vodka. When asked if she knew the last road she was driving on, she said Highway 164. She said, I knew I shouldn't be driving. I was too drunk to drive. Okay. If you know, I just, I ask this rhetorically, if you know that you are too drunk to drive, why the hell do you get behind the the wheel of a car? Just saying. The complaint indicates 
that she takes medication for bipolar disorder and anxiety, and it affects her when she drinks. So, okay, she's medicating. She's on various prescription, presumably prescription medications. You're taking that. It affects you when you drink, and you're out there pounding down liquor and then getting behind the wheel of the car. When asked for more details on how much she had to drink, she said she had two Angry Orchard drinks and one shot of vodka at the bar, two red apple ales and one vodka lemonade at the game, and another Angry Orchard drink at the bar. She said they took the shuttle to and from the game, followed her boyfriend to his workplace where she got her car, and then followed her boyfriend to Highway 164. She said she was angry at her boyfriend for letting her drive because she felt she was too drunk. Um, okay, here's the ultimate irony of all this. She's a student attending UW-Milwaukee studying chemical dependency counseling. Uh, the woman who is dead is the mother of two. All right. She is now, the she being the alleged drunk driver, is now in custody. Um, let's see, the commissioner... Actually, interestingly, the prosecutor set the bond, said recommended $35,000 bail. Her lawyer asked for $15,000 bail, proving that Waukesha is a different animal than Milwaukee County, where the catch-and-release policy lets you out um, as fast as the door can revolve. In Waukesha, the court uh, commissioner had a different number in mind. She set the bond at $100,000 explaining that the seriousness of the crime made Dominski a threat to the community and herself. She's due back in court on Friday. So what an interesting story. In Milwaukee, of course, they fall over themselves to take dangerous people, hardcore repeat criminals, and turn them loose onto the community. In Waukesha, the court commissioner looks at this woman who has allegedly killed somebody by driving drunk and says, prosecutors, defense attorneys, you guys are both out of whack. I'm putting a $100,000 bail on her, so she sits in jail for the time being. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. My understanding is this woman has no priors. You have a 24-year-old student who goes to the Brewers game with her boyfriend. She has several drinks before the game. She drinks at the game. She comes back. She drinks after the game. And then, by her own admission, gets behind the wheel of a car while knowing that she is too drunk to drive. Then she crosses a center line, drives down the wrong way, almost seriously injures the one guy, and hits and kills a 44 year old woman. 414 799 1620. If she is convicted, and again, people are innocent until proven guilty, and we don't know. We don't know what her blood alcohol level is because she refused the breath test and ultimately they did the blood draw. We don't know what that was, but my guess is it's going to be well over the legal limit. That's just my guess. But regardless, at least according to the complaint, she's also on various medication, which probably interacts with the alcohol as well and making for you know a, a really you know deadly daily double when it comes to that. But if she is convicted... Here you have a 24-year-old woman who, interestingly enough, is studying chemical dependency of all sorts of things, and you have a 44-year-old woman who is dead. If you are the judge, what do you do with her? I mean, the prisons are filled with hardcore repeat criminals. One of the reasons in Milwaukee County the judges give for not handing out harsher sentences is, well, we don't want to contribute to prison overcrowding. Here you have a 24-year-old woman who gets drunk and kills somebody behind the wheel of a car. Maximum penalty is 25 years. What would you do with her if 
if you were the judge and she were convicted. 414-799-1620. Tell you where I come down on this in just a minute as well. But I'm curious what you think an appropriate penalty would be. It's 1017. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 1019, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Time and again, Wisconsinites have shown remarkable generosity for their fellow Americans when disaster strikes. You did it two weeks ago for Texans impacted by Harvey, and now those in Florida need our help as well. WTMJ is partnering partnering with the Red Cross to provide assistance to those affected. Text the word IRMA to 90999. That's 90999 to donate $10 and help the Red Cross aid victims of the hurricane in Florida throughout the Gulf Coast. Okay, so BD, who's producing the show today, you, while I was setting up the topic, you were on Brewers.com trying to purchase tickets. You were able to get, you got tickets for Friday night, second row behind the dugout, $20 a piece. And then for Sunday, you were there were still tickets available, but you were only able to get like fifteen dollars seats. Is that what you said. So Sunday looks like it's going. Sunday they had twenty three thousand seats, and you just check now it's down to the ten dollars seats. So it looks like um, Brewers fans are responding. Um, so if you if you want tickets to any of these games coming up, they're great deals. Go to Brewers dot com quickly. All right, before the break, I, I was sharing with you this absolutely horrific story 24 year old woman goes to the, the brewers game and apparently gets herself really liquored up um she by her own admission says she should not have been driving nevertheless she gets behind the wheel of an automobile she crosses over the center line on a road that a lot of us drive quite a bit 164 um causes one car to flip over, hits a car driven by a 44-year-old woman, mother of two, who's dead. And now the question becomes, what what do you do with the drunk driver, 24-year-old gal with, I don't think, any prior record, but who acknowledges that she was too drunk to drive? 414-799-1620, that is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's see our text. Jeff, sentence her to the maximum of 25 years. She knew what she was doing, driving drunk. She knew it was wrong, but she still did it. Now someone is dead, two children with no mother. Rocky says, build more prisons. She should get the maximum sentence. Uh, let's see, Kyle says, I don't know how about, I feel about 25 years in prison, but I would certainly recommend that she be required to commit a large amount of community service and most likely a substance abuse problem. Um, no, 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 no. Uh, no, 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 no. Not community service, not substance abuse training, trade, training or treatment or whatever. This is a do not pass go, do not collect $200, go to to jail, and go directly to jail situation. Look, I understand that people make bad decisions. I also understand that you have people who drive drunk all the time who are able to get home safely. And the reality is, as good as we are as law enforcement is, they don't catch people every time they're driving drunk. Um, and, And maybe... This is just but for the the grace of God, and she was unlucky. But the reality is somebody is hurt and somebody is dead because of the conscious decisions that this woman made. And in my opinion, you know, if she is convicted, yeah, she needs to be punished. She needs to be punished. Number one, to punish her for taking another life, and number two, I guess to act as a deterrent, I I don't know. We talk about this whole concept of general deterrence, sending a message to other people. I I don't know. 
I, I don't know, but somebody is dead. And I think there needs to be a substantial prison sentence, whether it's 25 years. I don't know. But certainly somebody dead. You're talking at least 10 years, at least 10 years, at least in my opinion. Abigail in Des Plaines. Abigail, you're at 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hi, thank you for taking my sure. call. Um, I'm calling because I volunteer for prison chaplaincy. It's a faith-based prison chaplaincy. And we deal with people of all walks of life who, who get in trouble with the criminal justice system. Mm-hmm. So... I, I just like to point out that historically in America, the way that we respond to crime has flip-flopped back and forth, depending on the mood of the society, from punishment to deterrence to restitution to maybe eight other purposes of how we respond to people who do things wrong and hurt others. Or kill and, others. Or kill others. So the thing is that it's, it's changed for all different kinds of reasons, but it used to be in the early, before the 1800s, restitution and having the consequence of doing something that impacts somebody else so deeply was very important. And somewhere in the 1800s, and nobody knows exactly why, we came up with this concept of a debt to society. Well, she doesn't have a debt to society. First and foremost, she's a debt to the family whose life she was destroyed. And the, you know, whether we want to have her realize the seriousness of her actions, I bet she already does. I'll bet that she was a chemical dependency student because she sensed that she had this problem. So there's several things. There's public safety. You don't want her to be able to do this again. And she probably would because she has a problem. But you also want to do something that's going to turn this, and here I come from the faith point of view, and take this terrible situation and get something positive out of it. So, for instance, in Australia, I believe that people who are in, uh, who cause car accidents because of drunk driving, they had a pilot program where they had to volunteer in children's hospital units and see the results of car crashes or some other thing. Perhaps she should be, maybe she should have an obligation to pay something towards restoration of the loss of the family well i'm sure sure there's all i I mean she's 24 years old she probably doesn't have you know any money there's going to be some insurance but 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 how do we no no, abigail let's let's get to the bottom line okay it's 2017 in waukesha wisconsin woman by her own standards gets drunk crosses the center line and kills a 44 year old woman you are the judge what do you do with her well, if I'm the judge, then I have to follow the the legal rules of what has to be done. Does Wisconsin have no. mandatory no. sentencing? Well, there, there's a, maybe a couple of years, but you you have a lot of discretion. Would you send her to prison? I would send her to a prison that has an excellent rehabilitation center. Okay. All right. Thank, thanks. Thanks for the call. Okay. Here, here, here here's the deal. All right. I, I don't. When, when I was a prosecutor, I never made a judgment about what type of person you were when you committed a crime. Good people do bad things. Bad people do good things. That's not the role. But when you do bad things and people lose their lives, I am much more concerned, quite candidly, with the family of the victim, the family of the 44-year-old woman who has been taken from her family and her friends because she did nothing wrong except be in the wrong place at the wrong time when a liquored-up woman crosses the center line and hits and kills her. 
there needs to look i i don't care if you if you send her to prison and she's there for 10 or 15 years and she's able to take advantage of again you know rehabilitation things i, I that's okay I, I don't have a problem with that but the bottom line is there needs to be consequences for this type of behavior i think this waukesha court commissioner is on track by saying this is a big deal and we're going to put like major major bail requirements on this if she is in fact convicted she might be a wonderful woman but at the same time somebody is dead and they're dead because of a very very bad conscious decision that she made and yeah there needs to be consequences for this in waukesha county in 2017 you get yourself drunk you hit and you kill somebody yeah you're going to prison and you should be going to prison for a long period of time it's 1028 this is jeff wagner It's 1038, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Uh, I guess it's just today, today there's all these different stories out there that are just, I admit, maybe it's because the week is dragging on. Maybe it's it's Thursday already, but I'm just, it, it's, I'm on my last nerve with this stuff. The, the story that, that Jane had during the, um, during the, the newscast uh, about the budget deal. All right, here, the budget in Wisconsin should have been done two months ago. It, it is an embarrassment to the Republicans that control the Assembly, the Senate, and the governorship that we weren't able to get something done. So it's been going back and forth and batted around. And finally, finally, after a lengthy process, you have Republicans in the state Senate on the Joint Finance Committee who get together with Republicans in the Assembly, and, and everybody has their different position. One of the hang-ups has been you know, um, uh, whole transportation funding. They pretty much work that out. So the Assembly passes it. It goes over to the state Senate where it is now. Now, let's keep in mind it's a couple months overdue already. You've got – there's 33 members of the state Assembly. 20 are Republicans – 13 are Democrats, right? So you need 17 to pass it, 17 votes. So that means you, you need, you get no Democrats who are going to vote for it because they're Democrats. So that means you have you need 17 out of the 20 Republicans. As of this morning, they only had 15 because five of the more conservative Republicans had decided to like children. And yes, I'm talking about you, Steve Nass. And yes, I'm talking about you, Dave Craig, and Chris Kapenga, and Dewey Strobel. Like children, you decide to kind of stick your dig your feet in and say, well, it's not a perfect document. I, I want this or I want that or whatever. And, you know, and I understand that, you know, your, your different pet causes, and I don't even disagree with one or two of the reasons why you've got to hang up on this giant, massive budget. But you've got, at least as of this morning, you've got five Republicans who decided that they weren't going to support this budget that had worked out because, well, all right, it, it's got, it gets rid of prevailing wage, but it doesn't get rid of it until September instead of in January, instead of this January. All right, I, I understand. Maybe in a perfect document, you'd get rid of it in January. But for the love of God, politics is the art of the possible. And, you know, we've seen this happen on the left, and it's playing out on the right. You get some people who decide that they've got 
got, they just want to assert themselves. They want to say, well, all right, it's 99% good, but it's not 100% good, so I'm going to vote no. When you take that attitude, you relegate yourself to not being serious. You relegate yourself to being a permanent backbencher because politics is the art of the possible. And if you are going to be an ideologue, whether you're an ideologue on the left or an ideologue on the right, People are just going to roll your eyes, and you're not going to be taken seriously. So during the news, there's 15 Republicans who are now committed to this, and State Senator Rob Coles of, of the Green Bay area who voted against – he was the one Republican who voted against Foxconn. And now my eyes are involuntarily rolling at that. He's now decided that, well, he's going to vote for the budget because he realizes there's not going to be any changes that are going to be able to be made. He doesn't like everything that's in it, but he recognizes on balance it's a pretty good document. That's – that is the prop- proper approach to take. So now it comes down to the way I count it. They're one Republican vote short. Four conservative voters, four conservative senators, Dave Craig from the town of Vernon, Steve Nass from Whitewater, Chris Kapenga of Delafield, and Dewey Strobel of Saukville. So these are Republicans from around here. Here's the bottom line. Boys, poop or get off the pot. This idea that you want to run as conservatives and you want to have support, you want to say we're going to get stuff done, this is, it is not a perfect budget, but it is way past due. And for any of the four of you to stick your, to just kind of plant your feet and say, I'm not going to vote for this because I don't like this particular provision, makes you look childish and stupid. So at this point in time, you know, I got to understand, I understand how frustrated some people and some more responsible legislators must be. You work this stuff out, you reach agreements, everybody's got different positions on what should be right, but you balance something out. Politics is the art of the possible. And right now you have the state budget, which is two months overdue, apparently being hung up because you've got four Republican senators who all are threatening to take their ball and go home if they don't get what they want. Gentlemen, grow the heck up. You know, you got elected and you got sent to Madison to not necessarily use it as your own private playground, but rather advance conservative ideals. And this is a relatively conservative budget. It is a good compromise document. But, you know, I'm just so tired of people who become ideologues, and I'm tired of ideologues on the left, Lord knows, and I'm tired of ideologues on the right. And right now, you've got four of the more conservative senators, including senators from our area, who in general are right on issues, but they are holding the budget hostage, and they should be ashamed of themselves absolutely ashamed of themselves and when they run for re-election i understand these people think that they're not vulnerable because they run from conservative districts but if you're going to go to madison and you're going to be an obstructionist just because well you want to be an obstructionist well maybe maybe the next time around there needs to be some conservatives who run who are able to say hey we're going to run but we're going to run on a premise of getting things done not simply obstructing things. It is incredibly frustrating. Like I say, I, I, I understand each one of these senators has their own hang-up with one aspect of the budget or the other. And I'm not even saying that their hang-up isn't well taken. I'm just saying you are talking about you know, a budget document which has... <laughs> funds the entire state of Wisconsin for, you know, two years and has all these different provisions in it. And just because you didn't get your way on one thing, you're going to block it. 
Shame on all four of you. You know, just come, just move on. And if you're not willing to support this, well, maybe it's time for some other conservative Republicans next time you're up for reelection to say, look, I want to, like I say, I, I'm going to be a conservative, but at the same time, I'm not going to be an ideologue. I'm going to get stuff done. And I like a couple of these guys, but they're just dead wrong on this. It's time to stop holding the budget process hostile and move on. It's 1045 when we come back. Weather Channel in trouble or at least being criticized for its hurricane coverage. Stick around because the hurricane coverage, they say, wasn't political enough. It's 1045. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. In her new book, Hillary Clinton has revealed her perspective on why she lost Wisconsin in the general election last November. John McCare shares her answer with you today at 520 during Wisconsin's afternoon news. I guarantee it's not, gee, I was a lousy candidate um, and people hated me. Guarantee you it's not that. You know, this, this budget thing that we were talking about, and again, it's just... What is so aggravating about this is you have Republicans who are behaving in a childish fashion, conservative Republicans who have decided to, again, dig their heels in the sand and say, I, I'm just not, it's not a perfect, and it's not a perfect document, by the way, but, you know, after months, I'm not going to vote for this because it doesn't have this one thing in it or that one thing in it. Grow up, guys, and if you're not going to legislate, you're not going to get things done, and you want to be backbenchers that everybody just looks at and rolls their eyes with, well, then maybe next time you're up for election, we need a different conservative in office. God save us from ideologues. Um, one of our uh, texts, Jeff, my son goes to Bradford High School and in Kenosha, um, and, Ken- and Kenosha has, has just released. He normally could go take classes at Gateway Technical College for free as a high school student, but because the budget hasn't been done, that has been removed for this year, and he can't participate. He's a junior this year. Yeah, I mean, it, there's all sorts of things that are going on because they can't get their act together. Now it's all set. They've reached agreements, but you have a handful of conservative Republicans who have decided that they're going to just they're going to be obstructionist and try to hold up the process. And if these four Republicans now don't come around, maybe we need to find four different Republicans to run for their seats coming up. Just saying, and I hate to say that because I, I know several of these guys and I like them. But my God, you got to get stuff done. God save us from ideologues. All right. As I've mentioned this before, when it comes to climate change, it is interesting how the the left views this. If you have two hurricanes in a week, that is evidence of climate change. Oh, we've got climate change going on. Look, you had two hurricanes. If you don't have hurricanes for 12 years, that's evidence of climate change. It really is one of those things. If it's cold, it's climate change. If it's warm, it's climate change. If it's rainy, it's climate change. If it's dry, it's climate change. It's pretty much, you know, global warming. And that's really an easy sort of standard when, you know, regardless of what it is, it, it ends up occurring. Now, I've said before, I'm not necessarily a denier. I just... I don't know how significant it is because the truth is there's more people on the planet than ever. There's more challenges on the environment. Does man, man worldwide have an impact on, you know, the environment? Well, well yeah, you've got more people. That's going to make sense to me. The question is, you know, how bad is it going to be and how, how do you prepare for this? To me, for example, rather than spending 
all sorts of money trying to figure out climate change and the effect, you'd be much better off spending that money, for example, trying to fortify structures and buildings to deal with some of the inevitable changes that you're going to get in the climate. But in any event, I found this interesting. The Weather Channel, and when when you have hurricanes, when you have these big events, flooding or whatever, people flock to to the Weather Channel. During the Weather Channel's coverage of both Hurricane Harvey and Hurricane Irma, One of the things that was interesting is there was almost no conversation about global warming or climate change. Rather, what the Weather Channel was doing is they were reporting what the hurricanes were were doing. That that was it. This this is where it's going to hit. This is what the model is. People need to be prepared, all those type of things. But very, very little discussion in contrast to some of the other networks like MSNBC about the whole concept of climate change. Well, big story in both and several sources where the Weather Channel is now being criticized. The argument is, how can you possibly, you know, talk about these hurricanes without talking about climate change or global warming or or whatever? How can you just simply report the facts? And then it goes on to say, well, the Weather Channel, they must have been doing this because their audience is primarily conservative. They know that. Their audience is primarily Republican. And so they decided in reporting on the hurricanes that they just wanted to stonewall stonewall and cover up this climate change thing. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Imagine what happened. Here you have this this incredible environmental catastrophe and you have the weather channel which has decided to report the facts instead of trying to turn this into a political debate on global warming and now they're getting criticized for this 414-799-1620 that is the acunet mortgage talk and text line honestly I think that's exactly the way to cover the way they covered these events was exactly the way to cover this event. Report what was happening, tell people what was going on and avoid this discussion as to why it was going on where scientists may or may not agree on it. Like I say, the idea of these hurricanes being tied into global warming or climate change, I'm not sure that that's as much of a fact as some people would have you believe. Like I say, it was 12 years But again, if you're a climate change person, if you're a global warming person, you know, anything that happens is because of that. I'm not going to criticize the Weather Channel. I think they handled it right. 414-799-1620. It's 1055. What do you think? It's 11.09. This is Jeff Wagner. Glad to have you with us. Hey, we have an update on the Brewers situation. I think, as everybody knows, because of the hurricane, the Brewers are supposed to play in Miami this weekend because of the hurricane and not damage to the stadium that Miami plays in, the Miami Marlins play in, but rather the fact that uh, is, as important as baseball is, a lot of the, the security people, the fire, the police officials that would normally be used to help staff you know, games, um, they, they got other more important things to do. So there was the necessity of, of relocating the game, and the decision was made. I think it was a good one. Does it give the Brewers a little bit of a competitive advantage? Yeah, it does. But still, 
That's really the only decision that made sense. The decision was made to play these games in Milwaukee instead of Miami. That decision was made yesterday. So that sent the Brewers, uh, again, scrambling to say, okay, we're going to play these games, but, you know, how, how can we get fans here? You know, what's the deal? We had Rick Schlesinger, the chief operating officer of the Brewers, on about an hour and a half ago. Uh, and tickets for these games went on sale at 10 o'clock this morning. Now, what the Brewers did is they they came up with what I think was a really, really great idea on a lot of different levels. They were originally... Because their concern is, hey, we, we've got to bring in concessions people, we've got to get ushers, we've got to get security people, and we've got to do it on short notice. So the plan initially was to only sell 10,000 seats, essentially the, the first level for the game on Friday night, and then we'll sell 23,000 seats for the game on, games on Saturday night and Sunday afternoon. Uh, the 23,000 seats would be opening up the second level, essentially, the, the loge level. But the plan was 10,000 on Friday. The other thing that I think the Brewers did that was so very, very fan-friendly, because we here in southeastern Wisconsin, we like deals and we like baseball. So what they did is they said, okay, the, the tickets – they have three price levels. It was going to be 20 bucks for the best seats, the, the diamond-level boxes, which would normally be, I don't know, 50 60 70 bucks, whatever, $15 for field infield boxes, and $10 for all the other seating. So people who, even if you're a Brewers fan, and they have very affordable tickets, but let's face it, for you know a lot of people, the typical cost of sitting in the second row behind home plate is – well, it, it's kind of beyond the capabilities of a lot of people. Well, the brewer said, hey, look, well, this is what we're going to do. We're going to have these various pricing things. You know, best seats in the house, 20 bucks. Field infield boxes, $15. Down the line, $10. And they were going to make, again, you could buy up to eight seats. Well, what happened is I'm looking at the brewer's press release. In the first 45 minutes, so this would be from 10 to 1045, over 30,000 tickets were sold for this series, over 30,000 tickets. They note that this is the note they put out. High web traffic caused a temporary overload of the website for purchasing tickets. Now, my producer, BD, were you able to get through? Did you have problems? You weren't. You were able to get through. Okay. Um, Fans, this is what the Brewers say, who were unable to complete a purchase this morning or those who received an error message should try again. But here's what they say. The field level for Friday sold out. This would be the 10,000 thing. Um, the Brewers have apparently been working with their, their concessions providers and all. So what they've announced is what they're going to do is on Friday night, they're going to open additional inventory for the loge level. These seats are now available for purchase. So I think what this means is the capacity for each of the three games is now approximately 23,000 uh, seats, with field and loge levels now available for ticket purchases. So if you if you tried to get in for the Friday game and you weren't able to because it was sold out, they now say that they're, they figured out a way that they're going to be able to get some people in and they're going to be able to open up that second level. So, again, same deals as before, same price, um, but... They've already sold, again, in the first 45 minutes, and who knows what's happened in the last half hour, they've already sold 30,000 tickets. Um, they're, 
but they've now increased the capacity, so there's more of an opportunity for people to get in. This is really a great deal. Parking for each game is going to be $10. No advanced parking sales, no preferred parking option. Lots open three hours prior to the game, and gates to the stadium will open up 90 minutes prior. This is just, it's it's a great chance to see a baseball game. It, re- it really is. And what's so cool about this is it's also games that matter. So the Brewers have uh, figured out, they've now increased the capacity for Friday night. So if you weren't able to get a ticket before, um, try back again. And the easiest way is, to, if you're Internet active, to go to Brewers.com. All right. Uh, we've got Pop Culture Corner coming up at 1135. I'm actually, this is a nostalgic one, and I'm actually looking forward to it. All right. But before that, I want to talk about what is going on in Waukesha, the Slender Man trial. We'll discuss it when we come back. It's 1114. It's 1116. This is Jeff Wagner. WTMJ is letting you experience Wisconsin's finest supper clubs at half price. This week, our featured supper club is Katarina's Restaurante in Milwaukee, family-owned for over 30 years. Katarina's uh, features Italian, original Italian recipes made fresh to order. and includes entrees from pasta to seafood, from veal to steak. Their desserts are out of this world, too, by the way. Tomorrow at 12 noon, you can get a $50 certificate for only 25 bucks. That is just like stealing. Um, but it's all legit. These go quickly. We only have 50 available. So mark your calendar. Get yours tomorrow starting at noon. You go to WTMJSupperClub.com. You can get there through our website as well. All right. When when I used to, um, when I was a federal prosecutor, every once in a while you'd get these, um, you, you'd get cases where you'd have psychologists or psychiatrists who would come in and, and they would testify about the defendant's mental condition. My general let me tell you, any lawyer will tell you this. First of all, you can find an expert who will say anything, anything. Secondly, my personal experience was with some of these psychiatrists or psychologists I saw testify, they were battier than the defendants. Oh, how could you say that? Well, they were. They were just not. You know, if, if, I'm not saying the defendants weren't nuts, but some of these psychiatrists or psychologists who came in, they were nuttier than the defendants. Now, in Wisconsin, if you are going to try to avoid accountability by reason of mental disease or defect, it is your burden to prove that, first of all, you suffered from an identifiable mental disease or defect. And secondly, you have the burden of establishing that that, that disease or defect prevented you from understanding that your conduct was wrong. So you couldn't tell right from wrong or from conforming your actions to the law. I had and the common example of that would be the person that hears voices. The voices that I was hearing in my head told me that I, 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 I had to you know, do X, Y or Z and I couldn't resist. Right. So now you, you have this whole slender man situation. You have these these two girls who were 12 who lured their classmate out into the woods and tried to stab her and left her for dead, presumably to uh, appease this fictional character. One of them has entered a guilty plea to the underlying charge. She's now on trial for the whole question of the, is there a mental disease or defect? You know, was she, did she suffer from a mental disease or defect? And was she able to conform her conduct to the requirements of the law? They called, um, some woman yesterday who was who evaluated her who's come up with this diagnosis that it's a she suffered from and this is called by the defense a shared delusional disorder um which admittedly is something that is extremely rare that you almost never 
or never find in people that are friends. Um, uh, essentially, the, the idea being that you, you have somebody who's a friend of yours. That person is nuts, has a delusion, and, and you share that delusion. So you essentially you, you become like your friend and, and unable to, uh, again, unable to uh, conform your conduct to the requirements of the law. And so as a result of this, the argument would be that they, they couldn't help the, themselves. You could be a great student. You could, you know, have no other indications of this, but apparently because your friend has this delusion, you then share it. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I don't know what the jury is going to do with this. Um, I understand there's more experts that are testifying today, and my guess is, like I say, you can find an expert who will testify about you can find experts who say pretty much anything that you want. Like I say, almost any lawyer will, will say that. But this idea that you can have somebody who goes through daily life, who seems perfectly normal, who is a good student, who doesn't manifest any characteristics of this, you know, really to their, their parents um, or to the public in general, but yet is unable to appreciate that stabbing her fellow classmate is wrong or is unable to avoid, I don't know, stabbing her fellow classmate because one of her, her buddies um, suffers from delusions. I, I, I look at this, and I mean, I don't know what a jury is going to do with this, but candidly, candidly, I understand that she was 12 when she committed this crime, but the, the idea of unable to conform your conduct to the requirements of the law strikes me as a bunch of hooey. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. How should this case turn out? Now, obviously, you, you've got you've got a 12-year-old, now she's 15, who has issues. There, there's, there's no question about it. But just because you have issues doesn't mean that you are unable to conform your conduct to the requirements of the law. And it's interesting to me, she's not being di- diagnosed as, as a schizophrenic it's just they in order to again you've got this psychiatrist or psychologist who's come up with this shared delusional theory so you know she had a friend who was delusional so she shared that delusion so as a result that made her unable to conform her conduct to the requirements of the law hmm mike on the northwest side mike you're on 620 wtmj hi good morning jeff i hi. think this is just a bunch of baloney these guys the psychiatrists uh these girls are 12 years old. If you're 7 years old, you know what right, what's right and wrong. And I believe that uh, they're just trying to... Uh, I've, I've, you can think of all kinds of theories, you know, but if you're somewhat normal, even abnormal, you would know what's right from wrong, unless you're completely nuts. And I don't think these girls are completely nuts. Well, and like the one that's on trial now, the, the diagnosis was shared delusional disorder. And I, I think yeah, what they're I, arguing, right, is that the, the, the other girl, I mean, she might have had other mental health issues that were going on, and this girl was her friend, so she started to share the delusion. Well, I, I mean, look, they knew what they were doing was wrong. At least they, they, there's no question about it. Were they unable to tell right from wrong? Of, of course they were able that they were able to make that distinction. Um, you know, and simply because you act out in an antisocial or bizarre fashion, that doesn't mean that you can't conform your conduct to the requirements of the law. 
Oh, absolutely. I, I, I just think that this is just a bunch of baloney, and these girls should be tried as adults and sent to prison. Well, I mean, thanks for calling. Now, again, I mean, there, there's, you know, there, there's, and there is a big, there's a significant issue as to what happens, because if if this girl, now 15, is found to be um, mentally incompetent, unable to appreciate, again, it, the, the consequences of her actions or conform her conduct to the requirements of the law, she gets mental health treatment for a couple other years, a couple years, and then you know we send her back into the community. Otherwise, I mean, she's held accountable. The state says it's going to recommend 10 years. She's already served three. So we're not talking about putting her in prison for the rest of her life. The judge can do what he wants to do, but... I guess I I, list, I was been very curious as to what the psychiatric diagnosis was going to be because normally when you have these type of things it's it's paranoid schizophrenia I mean it, it's something that you've heard of this is this person that that's that has the multiple personalities it's the person that hears voices um, it, it's that type of stuff um, interestingly what they've come up with is shared delusion syndrome which even by the defense's own expert, acknowledges that it is something that, to the extent you, it, that it's a rare condition, and um, to the extent you see it, it might be with spouses or a parent or siblings, but might never have ever been diagnosed in people who are just friends. Sue in Cedarburg. Sue, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Well, first of all, these kids are 12, they were 12 years old, mm-hmm. and I have 12 year, 12 year old grandchildren, and yes, they do know right and wrong, but they would no more kill somebody and do that. Something's gotta be wrong with these kids. Well, sure, there's something wrong with them, but that doesn't mean they're insane. I mean, that, that doesn't mean, right, yes, I mean, they're, yeah, I, I agree, it's antisocial behavior, but it doesn't mean that you're not responsible for your conduct. But I just don't see them spending twenty years in prison. They need some. They need some help. Well, you know, they they need help. But what about what about the girl who got stabbed, Sue? I mean, don't we care about her? Well, absolutely, and of course we do. And I'm sure she's suffering from all kinds of, you know, feelings and whatever. But these kids, for goodness' sake, twelve years old. I I just think. There's got to be a better way than 20 years in prison. Well, I mean, think, I don't first think of all, that's going to solve anything. Well, I mean, thanks. First of all, uh, I mean, it, I think the prosecution is going to recommend 10. That's what they've already been in, in prison for three. So you're not talking about warehousing them forever. But I mean, you have you have this this kid that acted out in a very very dangerous fashion. And again, I understand. You know, this is. This is such this is such antisocial behavior because I mean my nephew's ten he understands you don't take knives and lure a classmate into the woods to stab him but just because you engage in antisocial behavior doesn't mean you have a, a mental disease that renders you unable to realize that what you were doing was wrong you'll never convince me they didn't know what they were doing was wrong or renders you unable to, uh, again, conform your conduct to the requirements of the law, which is typically, I've got this voice in my head telling me, you have to go do this. It's so compelling, I can't avoid it. I'll be curious as to what the jury says, but um, at least so far, I'm not impressed by what I'm hearing out of the defense. It's 1127. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 1135, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Okay, this is the point of the week. We do this the last two segments of the show every Thursday. 
Well, we kind of put aside some of the heavy lifting. We have a little bit of fun. We Sometimes we talk about television, sometimes music, sometimes theater, sometimes sports, sometimes vacation trips, whatever. I call the segment Pop Culture Corner, things that I, I think might be kind of instantly relatable. Typically, we live stream this on Facebook Live. We're not doing that this week because there's a just had a big all-staff meeting, just one of our regular quarterly meetings. So everybody is at that. and getting fed food and things like that while, you know, we're here, you know, on doing doing the radio thing. All right, but for Pop Culture Corner this week, um, I, I've actually, I, I call this, they're closing down the Hangout. Over the last couple days, actually the last week or so, it's interesting, I've been at a couple parties or events and I've been talking to people and we've been, the, the subject of places that we used to hang out at, restaurants or bars that we used to hang out at that, that are gone. I, One of my favorite restaurants, for example, used to be the old River Lane Inn. It was in Brown Deer. I mean, we would go there on a regular basis. And, you know, that closed down in 2015. It was replaced by a different restaurant. Never even been to that one. But, I mean, I, I, I kind of miss that. And I was, was saying that. You know, somebody else was mentioning, um, you know, the, the old Mamma Mia's, Mama's Italian Cuisine on Burleigh that, that closed down. Um, somebody else was talking about how they, well, there's various places. To Just in the last couple of years, they closed down. Um, in, in Mequon, I used to always go to Centennial, which closed down. Now it's replaced by, by Sobelman's. And this isn't a knock of the new places that are there. It's just I was talking to somebody else saying, remember, we used to go to Centennial. And we used to have all these great meals there and have a lot of fun. The, the truth of the matter is, when it comes to, like, restaurants or, or bars, there are places, there are hangouts, there are places where we go and we meet our friends and we go with our family and we have good meals and stuff, but it, it's a tough business. And tastes change and times change and, um, you know, people move away or, you know, grow older or, uh, and again, you know, just because something is there today and just because something has been there for five or ten years doesn't mean that it's always going to be there. So I thought we'd take a walk down memory lane. Again, it's just been amazing because for some reason several conversations I've had over the last week have, have involved you know, places that people used to go that aren't there anymore. So like I say, I call this segment, they are closing down the hangout. 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. What is your dearly departed restaurant or bar that place that you just always hang out at that, that's closed that you wish was still there and again it could be a restaurant it could be a bar one of those places maybe where you spent hours and hours of your misbegotten youth a dearly departed restaurant or bar something that you wish was still there that you spent a ton of time at they're closing down the hangout that's our segment of pop culture corner i'm going to take a quick break um scott Worth lining up the calls right now 414-799-1620 and again with, with these segments i always intend to advise people first of all please call quickly we're going to try to get as many calls as we can our phone lines time to jam up and secondly go with your first instinct that's typically you don't have to overthink this and if somebody else has your favorite hangout that's now closed that's okay too 414-799-1620 that's the accurate mortgage talk and text line we're back with pop culture corner in just a couple minutes it's eleven thirty-eight. this is jeff wagner 620 wtmj it's eleven forty-two. jeff wagner 620 wtmj our text line has just exploded all sorts of places that uh, actually kind of bring back all sorts of memories. Tanya in Whitefish Bay. Tanya, you're first. Good morning. 
Yes, I miss Colts on Oakland and Locust. Yeah, that's a that's an Italian place now with wood fired pizzas or something, as I, I recall, right? Is. I think it is, but oh god, they had the best fish fries <laughs> yeah. and a uh, best coffee. Really? Um, just wonderful place. I remember Been they. Gone a long time. Right. I yeah. I mean, I remember going there in high school. As a matter of fact, and they used to have um, comedy sports. They used to do comedy sports in the back of there as well. I remember. Yes. So oh, interesting. Yes. No calls. Thanks for call four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Let's see our text line. Um, Port Road Inn in Bayside. Yeah, I used to go there for Friday night fish fries. Um, here's Joanna Menominee Falls text Dos Bandidos, which was on um, Green Bay Road in Glendale. My husband and I were engaged there. And we were told, we told my mom we were expecting there. It was also the first restaurant we took our child to when he was born. I used to love Dos Bandidos as well. It was good, decent Mexican food. And I always, for some reason, it's, I have trouble finding good Mexican restaurants. Okay, here's uh, Patty in McGuanago. Um, she goes down memory lanes. Captain's Steak Joint. The, and th- that was owned by Marcus. They were, you know, who also owned the big boy places. The cheese sauce at the buffet was it soup or fondue? We'll never know now. Yeah, that was. There's no question about that. That they used to have these. Oh, I mean, and you could just feel your arteries hardening. Um, there, there used to be a couple captains. There was one out by the old Northridge, 76th and Brown Deer. There was another one um, right across from Juno Village downtown. They had one on the south side. Um, but like I say, they had this. I know exactly what she's talking about. They used to call it fondue. It was like this cheese dip, and they'd have these big, giant, um, like, onion crackers and stuff that you dip in it. Mm, you could make that a meal. Let's talk to Nick in Brown Deer. Nick, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hi. I remember the old Sherwood Inn. Oh, yeah. On Oakland there. Sure. On Oakland, yeah, right off of Kensington. I mean, everybody would meet there. When there was a blizzard, it would be so packed. It would be unbelievable. <laughs> People couldn't go any other place. And the owner was a was a meat uh, owned a meat business, so we always had the finest meats there. And it, it was just and they had daily specials like beef roulade or uh, stuffed chicken breast. And the Friday fish fries were just. <laughs> it was like it was like Cheers. Everybody knew your name. Well, and that's the cool. I mean, thanks for coming. I mean, that that's the. Um that's the cool thing. We were I you know, one of the things that got me start started start about that. We talk about Cheers. We were um, I was with my best friend the other night. We went to the baseball game and we were talking about um, the 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 place called the Mine Shaft in Heartland that you know advertises a lot. Um, there was uh, there, there was a place that used to be in the old Sydney High building downtown when, that we used to go to when we were in high school or early in college. It was it was a dumpy dive bar in the basement of the of the Sydney High building called the, the Mine Shaft, and I mean it was it was a it was a dump back in you know 1975 or, or whatever. But we're thinking, okay, it was a dump, but it was still it was kind of a nice dump. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Mike in Bayview. Mike, good morning. You're at six twenty WTMJ. I- Good morning, thank you. Uh, yeah, I'm a Southsider. A place called Jack Salvo's. It was a higher end Italian restaurant. And that was in Cudahy. That was in Cudahy, right? Cudahy, yeah, right? Yeah. Jack. And it was there forever. Really Frank Sinatra style. My dad was a regular there, and I became a regular there. And we recently found an old menu from the late <laughs> '70s or '80s tucked away. And that's back when the surf and turf was eleven ninety five. Thing on the menu back then, it was great to see that. You know, brandy old fashioned for a dollar fifty. <laughs> it was just a great place. Th- th- you know? Those uh, were those were the good old days. They um oh, they know, tore they they tore that whole. Dollars. 
Yeah, they tore that whole building down. I think, right? Yeah, it's just an empty lot now. Yeah, that's what I, I remember. Yeah. Th- thanks for. I mean, that wasn't that really wasn't my neck of the woods, but yeah, I, I remember that. Okay, let's see. Uh, Steve says we loved and miss a bar called the Bomb Shelter, which was on Second near Allen Bradley. Uh, yeah, you got that going there. Let's see. Um, uh, oh, Chi-Chi's. Jane in Watertown loved loved Chi-Chi's. My my late wife loved Chi-Chi's as well. She was, um, I, I, t- I try to take her to more authentic Mexican places, and she would have none of that. She just, she loved, um, she loved Chi-Chi's, no question about it. Um, let's see, Lori in Milwaukee, Texas. I agree, Captain's Restaurant. I remember eating bowl after bowl of the French onion soup as a, um, as a kid. Yeah, you've got that going there. Another uh, Christine texts, Chi-Chi's, um, great Bad margaritas. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Let's talk to Judy in Grafton. Judy, you're on six twenty WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. I re- vaguely remember Fazio's Port Silver Diner it was on Port Road. Oh yeah, right. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I, I, my oh. parents. I grew up in Glendale, so my parents yeah. would go there and take me along from time to time. It was a. Yeah. It was a diner. It really it was. was. It yeah. looked like a, a train. I think. Right, a railroad car thing. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, it was. Oh, that's way back, but yep, that was one of the good ones. Oh yeah, and those are the kind of places that you miss. Thanks for the call. And then, of course, right, right as as I was growing up, right across the street from that on Port Washington Road was was Barnaby's. And you know, we've talked about Barnaby's before. I just this is one where there's like two Barnaby's left in the country. And they're both by by the Arlington Park horse racing track. I've told the story before in, in Northern Illinois, and. A year or two, maybe three years back, for Father's Day, um, my brother and I, we take his family. We go to the track. That's what Wagner boys do. We go to the track, you know, on Father's Day. And we, we found this this Barnaby's in, uh, again, Arlington Heights. We go into the place, and I swear, it was right out of the 70s. It was it was laid out just like I remember it. The booths were small. The floors were sticky and things like that. Now, the one thing that had changed was I think the pizza and stuff was exactly like it was when I was going there in in high school. Um, I think perhaps my tastes have changed because it was so funny because my niece and nephew and all the other people we took, they're looking at Scott and I, my brother, and they're kind of like, okay, this is something that you went out of your way to take us to. This is what you thought was fine dining, to which we're kind of like, well, what what can you say? 414-799-1620. You are helping me walk down memory lane here. I love it. Sue in Cedarburg. Sue, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Yes. Peter Piper's in Mequon. It was near that Piggly Wiggly, and then Piggly Wiggly expanded. But that closed it, shortly after um, the owner's daughter, I believe, was killed in the 911, and she was in one of the towers. Oh, really? And I now d- they've opened, they have Piper's in Cedarburg, which is, I guess, a relative or something. But that used to be a place that we went to all the time. Okay, Sue, I have a confession to make. This is just is between you and me, okay? Um, yeah. that, that place in that Peter Piper's in Mequon, when I was in high school, Nicolay High School, <laughs> we would we would cut class. Oh, <laughs> and we yeah. would drive up there for breakfast. There <laughs> we, you go, Steve. So we no, we, we, we would we but let, let's just keep that between the two of us. But we would yeah. we, <laughs> thanks for the yeah, call. Right. No, we, that, that's just between the two of us. No, we they're back in the seventies we had open campus and I can um you know, you had a study hall coming up or something. We were, yes, we, well, you couldn't get out to Mequon from Glendale and back and have breakfast, but we, from time to time, we, um, the statute of limitations has long expired on that, but we would cut class.
class, and we'd drive up there, and we would have um, we'd have breakfast. Let's talk to Tom in Menominee Falls. Tom, you're on six twenty WTMJ. Good morning, Tom. Hi, Hi Tom. Uh, Boulevard Inn by Washington Park. Yeah, I um my my sister in law. Um, she got married there. I, I, I will never. It was a legendary wedding reception in our family. But yes, I, I, I remember that they had great food. You know, and they relocated. They moved down to the east side. And I don't think it was ever the same. I love the one near Washington Park. You're right. Uh, best Caesar salad ever. 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 Okay. Thanks, you guys. No, no, again, I, I remember, um, like I said, I remember Jan. He had a wedding reception there. But we would go there. They had great onion rings, as I recall, too. Speaking of great onion rings, John in Oshkosh. John, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, I lived in Milwaukee, uh, 79 and 80, and I lived a block south of Jake's Steakhouse on 61st and North. Mm-hmm. And uh, he had the best steaks and such a cozy uh uh, yeah. cocktail lounge and uh just like that guy out in shorewood when we would get a blizzard everybody in the neighborhood would go down there uh, and shoot the whatever but i i actually bartended out at the old town serbian gourmet house at that time oh right when we got a, when we got a blizzard i didn't have to go out there because i couldn't make it <laughs> so i go down to jake's and have a couple. <laughs> I, I, I mean, they, I, you know, and of course, you know, you, there, there's still the Jake's that's out in Pewaukee off of Capitol Drive. But I, um, I, 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 we used to go to that one on 61st and North as well. And it was, I mean, I, I thought, I, I thought it was good value. They had the, and I was talking about onion rings. I mean, that's what their specialty was. God, I used to love those onion rings. Robert and Mequon. Robert, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. Hi, uh, Damon's uh, mm-hmm. in Mequon. It was the place to eat. And uh, watch TV and sports on these giant screens and play trivia. We used to go there all the time in high school. Uh, they have one in Green Bay too with the original uh, Super Bowl Thirty One goalpost. Right. I re- no thanks. I remember. Um, I remember their fish fries as well. Okay, let's go back to the text line. Let's try to get a couple. My husband immediately said Leonard's and Muskego, just the bar that he and his army friends would meet and drink at. And she says, and then drink and drink and drink. Pacola's Pizza. Here's another one at Seventy Third Capital. Favorite high school hangout in the nineteen sixties. Um, I remember that one. Uh, let's see. Uh, the, let's see. Here's another reflecting on Ken from Greenfield says, I know what you're talking about. The mine shaft downstairs at Sydney High. I think it was Wednesday. Ten cent beers. We would send a guy to the bar with a ten dollar bill and he'd come back with trays and trays of beer. It was awesome. It was a different time. But yes, that's uh, that is the old mine shaft that was down there. You know, it is really amazing when you stop and you think about all the restaurants that have, you know, come and gone over the years. Um, here's one. Does anybody remember the Magic Pan downtown on Jefferson Street? Yeah, I remember. They used to, uh, um, I would go there for lunch from time to time. Um, and um, uh, that would be the whole sort of, and they, they would have crepes. Um so that that was the place. Um, I I would be remiss. My father, my late father's favorite place was um, the Embers downtown. He used to um, hang out there a, a lot, and then he'd when he we'd go out to dinner. That was the only place that he ever wanted to go. There were all these great restaurants around, but the only place he ever wanted to go was the uh, was the Embers. The ground round on Highway 100. They'd weigh children on the way in, and you'd pay according to their weight. Um, I used to hang out at the ground round that was on uh, in Glendale on Port Washington Road and. Silver Spring. The Unicorn Bar in the Sydney High Building saw Nirvana and the Smashing Pumpkins there before they became big stars. Uh, another vote for Barnaby. All sorts of great stuff. And that, that's it. Again, 
Um, to me, it's still the places I miss dearly. I probably the River Lane Ed would be tops, but lots of great places come and go. And I hope you enjoyed this little walk down memory lane for Pop Culture Corner today. I call the segment "They're Closing Down the Hangouts." Enjoy yours.